Hello and welcome to the Honest Politics Podcast. My name is Alex Kamsik and I'm the founder of Honest Politics LLC. Before we get started, I want to give a um, kudos to everyone out there protesting the violence that police use against African Americans, against minorities, against people who don't have a chance if you're on the ground and three people are kneeling on top of you. Uh, there's a power structure there, and it was exemplified in the video of George Floyd's killing. And of course, I recognize policing is a very dangerous job. I do not have to go to a job every day where I fear for my safety. But there's also systematic issues that African Americans face every day, not just from the police, but from almost every aspect of American life that I think it's really important to acknowledge. And uh, the business that I run, I only have a few exceptions because I am omnipartisan. I try to serve everybody, no matter your political beliefs. But I do not serve people who discriminate, encourage violence or illegal activity. So that discrimination stands out because I want to really make sure that I'm not helping or facilitating anything that puts an entire group of people down. And in my opinion, when an entire group of people is already down, you need heavy hands of justice to rebalance the scales towards the equality that we should all want. We should all want equality. And the simple fact of the matter is that it does not exist right now. So I wanted to take the time to say that. Um, how, how best can I help? You know, because I've studied politics and public policy. How best can I help this situation? Um, and I think one way to do so is to talk about focusing events, which is, in my opinion, a critical way to get policies passed. Because also, in my opinion, nothing's going to change until policies are passed that change the status quo. Um, you know, hearts and minds can change. There can be cultural changes and all that's important. I think you're seeing some cultural changes happening right now in America. But policy change is another important thing because it rebalances power to where it is not right now. So to start, we're going to go over the four theories of public policy processes that I studied in graduate school real quick. And then I'm going to talk more in depth on... Um, I'm going to basically look over my notes from grad school and kind of <laughs> read them off. So the first is that there's four important policy processes, which is a policy process is trying to explain how policy gets passed in this country. And these models are all imperfect, but they all illuminate a little bit on how um, American policy works. And it's mostly focused on the federal government. So first we have John Kingdon's three streams theory, multiple streams framework. Um, it expands on what was called the garbage can model, where you kind of just throw a bunch of solutions and problems into a garbage can, shake it up, and then policy comes out. But what we have here from Kingdon is a distinct stream. So you imagine three different rivers running parallel to each other. One is filled with the policy problems. So you think of what's going wrong, and you have that running in one stream. Of course, there's a bunch of different problems and it's all very complicated, but it's in one stream. And then you have the policy. So 
what are the solutions that exist out there? What do we already have? What can we improve on? The actual policies run in another stream. And then you have politics. Who is in power right now? Where is power trending? Who has it? So that's the third stream. And when these three streams converge, then you can have major policy change come about. So it's important to realize that if two of these streams connect, it's not going to happen. One of the, if the streams stay separate, nothing's going to happen. So what brings these streams together? Well, one major thing is that policy entrepreneurs are people who have a very heavy hand in policy. And policy entrepreneurs, um, they can be in the background kind of doing backroom deals or they can be more out front and negotiating with people on TV and all this stuff. But they have a really heavy impact on at least one of these streams. Then uh, if you have what's called a focusing event, which I think this country is going through right now in terms of pandemic policies and in terms of racial and policing policies, it has the potential. So repeat the potential, not the guarantee. But a focusing event potentially can make policy change. It can make those three streams converge and spit out policies. So that's the three streams theory when politics, policy, and problems converge, mostly because of a focusing event. And then you have punctuated equilibrium theory. One of the first podcasts I made was about punctuated equilibrium theory, so you can go back to that one. But um, it also focuses on focusing events. Sorry if I say that word too much. But uh, I think of it as a balloon where, you know, a change happens pretty incrementally in the United States. That's how the Constitution was designed. But think of the balloon being inflated slowly, 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 and then it pops. That pop is policy change, and that policy change usually happens, that pop usually happens because of a focusing event. So again, we have an event that happens, whether it's a quick thing or a slow thing, it's defined as an internal or external shock to the policy subsystem. (laughs) sounds like we're in a pretty big shock right now. That's what's happening. This is a focusing event, which again has the potential to puncture that equilibrium and bring about policy change. Um, Those two were what I always thought of as the simpler models, and they had broad implications. Now we're going to look at two more specific models. The first is one that I studied more than the other three. It's called Advocacy Coalition Framework. (laughs) Okay. I studied this thing all semester and I didn't remember what it was called. Multiple coalitions of groups, that, whether it's like lobbyists and politicians and nonprofit groups and companies all working together on one side and the same kind of group on the other. And they're trying to battle it out basically for their preferred policy. So I'm going to do a podcast on this another time, but I did like trying to regulate egg laws in California and make sure the hens have a better life. So you had like the egg industry on one side, you had animal rights people on the other, some politicians were on one side or the other. What happens is one coalition will kind of take over the other within this policy subsystem. And again, what do we have in the advocacy coalition framework? Focusing events. A focusing event may cause one coalition to win out over the other coalition. But again, not necessarily so. A focusing event doesn't always create a um, policy change. 
The last one is the most complicated. It's called the Institutional Rational Choice Theory. And it basically says that institutions will act in rational self-interest. Actually, in class, the group that was assigned to do this one struggled very much. And uh, it seemed like only one person in the class really got it. But to put it into a simpler perspective, what happens is different institutions, whatever they may be, act in their own self-interest and kind of battle, battle it out in the policy arena. Um, and then there will emerge a victor sometimes but not all the time because policy is slow to happen so if you think of like in this instance a police union is going to act in their rational self-interest as a police union they're going to try to protect the police officers and then you have um black rights groups who are going to act in the interest of black rights they're going to do stuff in their rational self-interest and then you know you have everyone from the White House to a local health department to um, a lobbying group to a nonprofit to a private company, everyone usually acts in their own self-interest. And when these all verge, converge together in the policy arena, usually um, something will come out of it, although not always. It's much more complicated than that. Maybe I'll revisit the institutional rational choice model at a different time. But it looks very specifically at the actors involved. It's a very actor-focused model. And in my opinion, because of that, it's good for explaining certain situations, but it's not great for explaining broad sweeping changes. Or, I mean, like, it's not as good for explaining any kind of event. It's only good for explaining certain kind of events. It's less broad, basically. I'm going to keep going through my notes now that I've explained those four and talk to you about um, some of the things that I thought were important enough to write down in 2016 when I took this class. So the one of them is agenda setting. Agenda setting happens before most other parts of the policy process. It's when the person or the people with the most power, I guess to explain it, President Obama, when he first came into office, primarily focused on the economic stimulus package that was supposed to help with economic recovery. He tried to pass a cap and trade bill. He tried to pass the Affordable Care Act, which did get passed. You can see there's a shifting of agendas. The president it says in my textbooks, is the most powerful agenda setter because when you have more visibility, you have a better chance of setting the agenda. Also think about it because the Congress has a hard time setting the agenda when there's 538 of them. It's hard to have one policy goal come out of such a diverse group of people. But agenda setting is never just one actor. There's always a bunch of different things going on that lead to whatever the agenda happens to be. And that agenda can be muddled and confusing at times as well. The author here, Kingdon, so we read John Kingdon's textbook. He's the multiple streams guy. Uh, he said that comprehensive rational decision making is one way that some people think policy change is happening. And he said it's not really reality. It's very hard for people to keep all policy alternatives and goals in their minds all at once. Um, there's just so much going on. But incrementalism is more of how we do things in America. That's because the system's designed that way. The founders didn't want 
democracy in the sense that voters could very quickly shift from one thing to the next. He, the, when I said he, I mean the founders wanted more of a um, measured policy by, honestly, by the elites in society. They were a little um, pretentious and they thought that uh, the common people could not be trusted enough to be the end-all be-all, which is why the Senate originally didn't have direct elections and stuff like that. Um, but you can also see practically it's kind of weird to say that, for instance, we would rewrite the entire federal budget from scratch every time we made it. It's much easier to take last year's budget and change what's already on it. I mean, you think of these things that are thousands of pages long, and nobody really has time to sit down and rewrite the entire thing, have hearings on every single line item. You know, that's part of the reason why it's practical to have more incremental changes. Um, people are also cautious of big change. People are nervous when too much happens all at once. You know, you see this in entertainment sometimes, these YouTube channels when they introduce, <laughs> I know this is stupid, but when YouTube channels introduce new series or they change their intro or simple things like that, people may have been like, oh, change your intro, change your intro, change your intro, and then they change it. And it's like, why is this different? I don't like different. So, And then we get to causal stories. So basically, um, politicians can take what's going on and turn it into a story. Stories resonate better with people than straight facts and figures like what I'm doing here. So if you see a politician saying, like telling a story, their speeches usually have a beginning, middle, and end. That's just a way that humans process things easier for people to understand. Now there's a good amount of other notes on here, but I want to finish off with what I think is the best example of why this or these focusing events between the Black Lives Matter movement in, highly visible, in a highly visible sense and the coronavirus pandemic, which is also extremely visible, even though the virus itself is invisible, we can see what's happening. We're looking at, I just labeled this Berkland's aviation security. I think Berkland was the author of one of the textbooks that we read, and he had a little thing on aviation security. If you think, like back then, before 2001, experts in aviation security, experts in terrorism, knew that, not that um, September 11th was going to happen, but that an event like that could possibly occur because of the problems with aviation security and because of what um, terrorists had previously hijacked airplanes. You know, you have these hearings on Capitol Hill and some of the subcommittees I've followed have very good suggestions. They bring on the world's top experts on these subjects. And then they either die in committee or do not get voted on at all. So I can imagine that's what happened with uh, airline security is no one really paid attention. But then after the, um, after the horrible terrorist attack, people paid attention. Um, you didn't have anyone saying, this is not the time for airline security questions. This is not the time to rethink our Middle Eastern policy. Those things happened immediately because a terrorist attack is such a visible, immediate threat. It is a focusing event that shocks the entire policy system. And every single politician in this country had to respond to it in some way. Um, that's why we have much tighter air 
port security. That's why um, America did the things it did in the Middle East and is still involved in there. Uh, we still are in war with um, parts of Afghanistan. You know, this line by some people after a mass shooting where, you know, up to two dozen to 50 people are killed and you have some politicians saying this is not the time to talk about gun, uh, gun laws. Um, but they weren't saying that after terrorist attacks, they immediately went to the issues at hand, saw what the experts were saying and acted upon it. So what are we gonna do for the coronavirus pandemic? What are we gonna do for police violence? What are we gonna do for racism in society? Are we going to let it become I mean, it is a focusing event, but are we going to let these focusing events pass us by and do nothing? Or are we going to pass policies? Are we going to let the three streams converge? Are we going to let the equilibrium puncture? Are we going to have one advocacy coalition triumph over another? Are some institutions going to get what they've been fighting for in the policy arena for so long? And in one sense, the only way for that to happen is for the preeminent agenda setters, primarily our most powerful politicians, to set the agenda, to get the political will, to get something done. And also, you know, this is mostly federal government stuff, but there's going to be there's going to be more policy changes on the local level. These different policy frameworks were designed for the federal government, but they can work at the state and local level as well, even though those are less visible and they impact fewer people, because they're more localized, they probably impact those people more heavily than anything the federal government can do. However, the federal government does create the um, cultural they, or uh, economic impacts that reverberate throughout the country. They have the bigger podium and actions by the federal government can trickle down to the state and local governments, not just through funding, but through an exchange of ideas and a setting of the agenda. So I know I rambled on and repeated some stuff, but I wanted to put that out there. I wanted to wish you all well and safety in this tumultuous time from threats both visible and invisible. I want you to stay safe. Um, you can contact alex at honestpoliticsllc.com with any questions. If you care about any of these policy processy models in particular, I would be happy to go over them with you. And I did not monetize this episode, and every uh, service with my company is free for the first hour. That's always have been how it is. I hope you have a great rest of the day, and I'll see you next time as we seek to discover more of the stories behind the statistics. I'm going to stick this little disclaimer at the end, of course, I do not support looting or vandalism or illegal activity. So just so that you know, when I said I support the protesters, I place a difference between protesting and rioting. Just so you know. Have a great day. It's called Advocacy Coalition Theory. No, what's it called? Advocacy...